Jesus. You may be seated. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. It's good to have everybody in the house of the Lord. And my congratulations, I join Pastor Grogan and congratulate all of our graduates. Wow, a bunch of them last night. And uh, I think that is so awesome. Uh, and an education is very, very vital. And not only is education vital, but it's important that you stay connected while you're getting that education because so much of our educational system today will take you into a carnal realm that is, deviates away from God. So it's very important that while you're getting that, that education, you also stay close enough to God to have spiritual wisdom. Amen. The spiritual wisdom is more important than the physical education. So it's very important to stay grounded in the word, grounded in a relationship with God while you're getting that education. But I definitely appreciate and congratulate all those that have, uh, are getting an education and coming home today, as mentioned several, Daniel's home from college, Tristan's home from college, and Pastor and I just noticed Susie. He said, make sure you tell her it's good to have Susie home from college. God bless them. We're glad we get to uh, give them a few hugs while they're here, while they're home. And I'm glad they're back in the house of the Lord with us. And uh, all the rest of the good things going on, it's good to be a part of the family of God and receiving the blessings that God provides. Praise God. And it's good to be a grandpa, right, Brother Ishmael? He's back there, got a young and sitting on his knee. Uh, I had... Uh, a brother-in-law, they had their first grand, great-grandbaby uh, this last week. And, and uh, I commented to them that how precious it is to get the second round of grandkids when you get great-grandkids. So uh, some people only have grandkids, but some of us have great-grandkids. And uh, Anyway, grandkids are so much fun. A friend of mine said if he'd have known that they were so much fun, he'd have had them first. So... Good to be in the house of the Lord. We had good times at Pastor Grogan's house this week, several different parties going on there, and I, I, I didn't make it to the ladies' one, but I did make it to the couples' one, and we had a very, very nice time and some good grub. Goodness gracious, I was hungry. It was either really, really good or I was really, really hungry because everything I bit into was just delicious, from meatloaf to uh, ceviche and... Uh, uh, I, I, I took the scrap ceviche home with me, and I had it the next day for brunch. So I finished it off the next morning. Uh, that and all the other good stuff uh, that uh, who somebody I see Brother Ramos I think made some kind of spicy. I, I don't know whether it was pork or beef. I'm not sure, but whatever it was, it was it was great. I even had a store bought taco that Pastor Grogan made. Uh, it was my, one of my appetizers. I, he had a package of those there. I even grabbed one. It was even good. It was the first thing I ate, so I was really hungry then. But it was good because I was hungry. But anyway, we had a good time, and I know they had some other activities at their house. And, and uh, I commented to my wife later how, how blessing it is for us to get together on a non-church basis just to kind of see the fellowship side and you meet people that you see in church every day, and it's praise the Lord, maybe even shake their hand or hug their neck, but you really don't know them. But when you come to these social events like this, it's extremely healthy. You get to kind of 
meet one another on a different level and get to know people in a different venue and it's just really really nice so I encourage you when things like this are going on including tonight it's important that you're there I, as a pastor I used to always just I almost wanted to call and uh, disfellowship people that weren't showing up for uh, for youth for the Christmas banquet because it's kind of the annual banquet where we all get together and what I just said on a non-church basis where we laugh together, eat together, fellowship together, and it needs to be important for all of us to be there. And so I guess you can take that from Papa today that I think you need to be there and I think it's important that you're there and I think it's important for me and it's important for you to be there. And so I don't know who's coming and who isn't, but uh, uh, who is and who ain't. But you ought to be there. It's a fun time and a blessed time, and it's important for you to be there. Uh, it's a time there that we, we honor one another, and we honor the birth of our Savior, and that we, we celebrate together with uh, some fun and happiness. And uh, I remember so many Christmas banquets all the way back 20, 30, 40, almost 50 years ago. And I remember as a young pastor, I remember the times where they honored Sister Abbott and I, when we were youngins, I remember one year they bought us a refrigerator and another year they did something else for us, bought us some end tables or something for our living room and, and uh, just different things throughout the years that we had special gifts and honored. It's time when we fuss over and honor one another and uh, it's fun times and so it's good to be there and giving ourselves to one another. It's fun. We had a, a game we played this about, I think they call it Dirty, Dirty Santa or something, where we have a whole bunch of gifts and, and you draw a number and then you get to draw one of those gifts. And then if somebody else gets one you want, uh, you can steal it from them. And uh, it was the only time that it's uh, permissible to steal. You can steal up to three times from somebody until they finally they call it frozen. And so we had, we had fun. I ended up taking home a... Uh, a big nice skillet and someone stole it from me but we we got it back my wife I stole then I stole hers and she went and stole it back for me and it was the third time so I got to keep my skillet and a few other ones did that it was just fun and it wasn't about the gift as much just the, the fun of communicating with one another and having fun together and that's really what serving God and living for God is all about is it's not just about coming to church once or twice or thrice a week, but it's, it's living for God and serving God and having fellowship with one another. And most of us have opportunities to fellowship with people that are non-believers and, and uh, we live in the world. So you're gonna have contact with people at work and play and school that don't know God like you do. But it's also very important that you fellowship with the right kind of people. Because it has been said, you become who you spend time with. And if you spend time with people that don't believe and that have no faith and, and don't have a relationship with God, it will drain you. I don't care how spiritual you are or how tough you are or how embedded in the Word of God you are. Uh, if you don't fellowship uh, with the right kind of people, uh, the world and life will suck the spiritual life out of you. And we lean on each other. And no matter how much, what, whether you, how much you realize it, we get a lot of strength from one another. I'm strengthened by being with you. You're strengthened by being with me. And together, we make each other better. 
and stronger, and that's really what it's all about. So <laughs> blessings to all of you, and Merry Christmas to everybody, and uh, it's good to be in the house of the Lord today, and uh, I'm looking forward to having a good, something good to eat and good fellowship tonight, and have fun. All right. God bless you so much for that. But today our, our, our lesson setting is about the better sacrifice. The better sacrifice. Uh, because the sacrifices of the tabernacle could not remove sin, Jesus offered up a better sacrifice. And that was the sacrifice of himself. And he came designed for that purpose to sacrifice himself for the sins of the world. I, I thought this morning that I wished I had uh, a big screen uh, picture of the tabernacle and the tabernacle plan. And, uh, and it's such a beautiful shadow or learning lesson or photo, uh, forensic, futuristic uh, design of how God designed our relationship with him to be. And in the tabernacle, if you don't, what that, no, don't know what that means, let me just lay just a little bit of foundation. The tabernacle in the wilderness was when the children of Israel were traveling across the desert. God promised them uh, a land that flowed with milk and honey. But because of their lack of faith and obedience to the word of God, they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. And during that time, they did not have a synagogue or a temple to go to. Uh, and so when the children of Israel were traveling and they, they followed a fire by night and a cloud by day. And when the cloud moved or the fire moved, it was time for them to pack up and go. And so in their travels, when they stopped, the very first thing they did in their journey, when, when they, the cloud stopped or when the fire stopped and they knew they had reached their their temporary destination, they stopped. The very first thing they were to do, there's types and shadows all through this. There's spiritual lessons to learn all through this. When they stopped, the first thing they did was what? Anybody know? Anybody have an idea? Anybody ever taught search for truth? The first thing they did, the first responsibility they had before they set up their own tent before they set up their own place of dwelling, they were to set up the tabernacle. The very first thing. It's the reason why I said everything about this, it has lessons to be learned, shadows to learn, learn about the nature of God and what God expects out of us. The very most important thing in our life should be the house of God and the things of God. Uh, I, I don't want to get too far sidetracked, but uh, we had a desire many, many years ago uh, we had a desire. My wife wanted to build a new home and we had some acreage and it was ready to build on. But my personal responsibility, I don't know if I've ever said this publicly before or not, but my first desire was before I build a home for myself, I want to get the tabernacle, the house of God built. And this building that we're in today, it was my desire And before I built a home for myself. And some of you that know me know that I have a very beautiful home. But before that home was built, we built this house. And there was a lot of sacrifices that I made, almost to the point of mental breakdown during the two years of construction of getting this building put together. But it was my desire, and it's my 
burden that this is going to happen first. But you know what? During the course of time that we were building this building, God just opened the windows of heaven on Sister Abbott and I. And again, a lot of people don't know this and don't understand this. Sometimes there are people that don't know past cast disparaging remarks. But while we were sacrificing building this facility, God just opened the windows of heaven and I had bought this piece of property on this corner. I bought nine acres and I didn't have any money. I, I, was, I was just going from paycheck to paycheck, but I'd saved a little bit of money and there was 14 acres here that I bought for a, a, a good price and I didn't have the money, but I had enough to give the people a down payment. And they carried the, they carried the paper on nine, uh, nine acres right here on this corner. And it goes from where our church is at right down Mooney Boulevard, including all these houses, the new houses that are here. And I bought nine acres and I made a payment of, I still remember, Sister Diane I'm sure remembers, $389 and some change. I made a payment on that property for uh, about 20 years. And in the process of time, I gave the corner five acres here to the church to build this facility. And while we're building this facility, uh, someone came along and offered me about six or eight times what I'd paid for the entire amount for the remaining part of this property. And I didn't sell it because I knew they were already doing a subdivision. Ennis Home was building a subdivision behind it. And they needed access through our property, my property here. They needed access to get to their facility. And being the nice guy that I am, uh, I had already gone to the engineer that engineered all that property and had them engineer my remaining acreage here. And uh, I, 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 now I'm gaining, it was 14 acres. And then I had nine acres remaining is what it was. So the five acres plus the 14, or, or plus the nine, excuse me. Anyway, uh, being the nice guy that I am, I already had it engineered. And when they said they, they called and asked me if they could build a road through my property to access this subdivision they're building back there, being the nice guy that I am, I said, sure, if you'll just stub out to each of my lots on the road going in. And the first 12 houses I built there, the entire engineering costs was paid by Ennis Homes. And so I had my first 12 lots where Sister Diane Philpott lives. And uh, there's some other folks that from the several people from the church got homes there. Uh, that entrance level, the first 12 homes were completely subsidized by Ennis Homes and they were ready, lots ready to build with all the utilities and the road and the curbs and gutter and all that was already there. And God just blessed me. He opened the windows of heaven and we were blessed. And then not only were those first 12, I ended up building 36 homes over there on that property after this church was finished. And it was right at the peak of the real estate market and cash was flowing. I always said you could finance a, a, a fence post during those days. Anybody that wanted a loan could get a loan. And a lot of people got loans and built homes out there. And it was an incredible time. And it was because of that that Sister Abba and I were able to build the home that we live in today. Uh, and it was a tremendous blessing during that time. But uh, to understand that sometimes we make a sacrifice and the sacrifice and the importance of the house of God should be number one in our life. You know what the Bible says? Seek ye first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness. What's the rest of it? And all these things will be added unto you. And you know what I'm, I'm here to, as a testimony today about? Is I've got a whole lot of things that I don't need. I could live in a lot lesser home. I could drive a lesser vehicle. I could eat less food. Excuse me a minute while I adjust myself here. I could live with a whole lot less than what I'm blessed to live with. But when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he doesn't just give you what you need, but all these things will be added unto you. Things that you didn't deserve, things that, that you don't even need. Uh, big toys for big boys, all kinds of stuff uh, he allows us to have. And privileges and blessings that come our way when you seek First, the kingdom of God. So back to the tabernacle plan. That was just a little side note there. The tabernacle plan, when they're crossing the Sinai Desert, when they stopped, the first thing they did was to set up the tabernacle. And you know one of the reasons why it's important to set it up, and it was, there was exactness of how it was set up. It was to face a certain direction with the sun. It was, it was always set the same way, the same pattern. And then every tribe of the congregation of the children of Israel, they had a particular place where they were to set up their tents. The tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of, of uh, Issachar, and all the other tribes, they all had a particular, and every one of them were surrounding the tabernacle. Their tent doors faced the tabernacle. I'm telling you, Everything that happened back there happened for our examples on whom the ends of the world are come. There was teaching points. There was points and shadows and foreshadows of things to come that God was teaching us. And so even when they started setting up their homes, their homes were set in conjunction with and surrounding the tabernacle. So the tabernacle was very, very important part. And it was there at the tabernacle where the sacrifices were made. And this much about what our lesson is about today is about the sacrifices and about the tabernacle uh, and about uh, our approach to God and what God provides for us. It was important that they understood and they had um, a relationship with the tabernacle, the plan of God. And in those days, it was only once a year that they would go to the priest with their sacrifice, with their offering. They would go with their, depending on their wealth. If they were wealthy, they brought a bullock. If they were less wealthy, they brought a sheep or a lamb. If they were less wealthy, they brought a, a pigeon or a turtle dove. And that animal's blood was shed. It was a gory sight. Uh, just on a side note to that, let me just say, I, I, I live on a farm and I raise different animals and I have, I have people from various nationalities uh, so I have especially that I guess they're Laotian or Mongs or, or whatever, some kind of Asian folks that come there real often and they buy chickens from me. And they want certain kinds, certain sex and certain colors. And it's part of a sacrifice ritual that they do. 
And I, I wish that I could help them to understand that there was a sacrifice made some 2,000 plus years ago that they don't need a chicken to sacrifice anymore. Don't need a dove, don't need, don't need a pigeon, don't need a lamb, don't need an oxen because Jesus Christ came and he became our sacrifice. And that sacrifice was done once and for all. It was, and, and we may get into that a little bit later, but it, it was a one-time sacrifice. Now, that is so much better than what we had at the tabernacle plan because that was a once-a-year sacrifice. Once a year, and there was no relationship, if you'd have been there, that you had with God. You would come to the priest, and it was actually a very ceremonious, but also kind of a scary time. It was a very somber occasion. It in, included death. It included, and they didn't uh, do like uh, they would do today if you want to euthanize a dog. They give them a sedative first and, and it kind of puts them to sleep. And then they give them a shot that stops their heart from beating and a very painless death. But the Jewish sacrifice, even to this day, and that's what kosher means. They don't knock them out first. They cut the juggler vein and they let them bleed to death and they catch the blood and there are sacrifices and things that they do. It's a very bloody, struggling thing. I have been to slaughterhouses for cattle and I've watched them as they, they take a, a, a ram that, that knocks them in the head and it drops them just instantly. They fall to the ground and then they pick them up and, and I don't want to be too gory, but it's actually worse than this. But then they put it, put the animal up in the air and they reach in, they cut with a big sharp knife, they cut their, and it's like you're pouring gallons of blood out, suddenly just gushes out of them. Uh, but they've already been knocked out. They've been shot in the head or, or a hammer, uh, there's a handle, hammer with a, uh, a point that goes in into the brain and it kills them instantly. Uh, but then they're hung up, but for kosher, it's not that way. They go into the same ramp. They're squeezed. They put chains on their legs. They lift them up into the air. And I'm telling you this for a purpose because it was a gory scene. And they lift them up in the air and the animal is thrashing around and someone reaches in and gets them and sticks a knife up and rips the juggler vein. They're still 100% alive and they bleed to death. And when the blood runs out of their body, I mean, it is, there's blood all over the executioner or the butcher, whatever you want to call him. He, he wears a, a rubber uh, clothes and all rubber boots, and, but blood is splattered everywhere as the animal thrashes and dies. And then they proceed to do the rest they need, need to do to take care of performing and getting the meat ready. This was a bloody time that a sacrifice was made. It was no less bloody if you stop and think about the life of Jesus Christ and when he gave himself to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. And we talk about it often and we depict it once in a while in a drama uh, where Jesus Christ gets a crown of thorns crushed into his skull. And they're saying about the crown of thorns that the thorns they had on there were up to two inches long. And uh, it's woven together right sides and then it's hammered down where it slices in, hits the skull and slides down and it's crushed into his head. A spear was thrust in his side, ugly blood and, and water gushes out of there, spikes driven into his hands and to his feet. And, and I've heard a, 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 a medical doctor describe the pain of, of crucifixion. 
And when they drive those spikes into feet and in the hands and they hang them up, they're hanging by those spikes in the hands and the feet. And when they're sagged down, medical tells us that when they're hanging by their hands like this, it crushes the lungs where you can't breathe. And so the only way for someone hanging on a cross to breathe is they had to either lift themselves up with nothing but spikes in their hands or push themselves up with their feet, with spikes through their feet to get a breath. And so it was a constant to get a breath and you sag back down and you're hanging there. You're bloody, you're bleeding, you're dying, you're in agony. And then you're running out of oxygen and you have to raise yourself up again to gasp another breath. It was an ugly, ugly time. But it was a perfect sacrifice. It was a one-time sacrifice. It was a sacrifice done for you. For you today, tomorrow, and next time. You don't need to come to my farm and buy a chicken. You don't need to get a lamb. You don't need to get a bullock. You don't have to go to an altar and beat on an altar. You don't have to count beads. You don't have to do penance. All you have to do is come and acknowledge your sin, your transgression, and ask for forgiveness and ask for his blood to be applied to your life. And the blood that was shed over 2,000 years ago at Calvary, that blood was shed for the remission of sins. The sadness of the tabernacle plan is it was a, a somber time and your sins were not forgiven. Your sins were not cast away. Your sins were buried or were put aside for a year. And the next year, you remembered your sins and you come back with the same sins and you had to repent all over again and sacrifice again to last you for another year. But when you come to Jesus Christ and you come and take advantage of his mercy and his love and his blood, the gory sacrifice of his life and his blood, when that is applied to your life, and according to the plan of God and the word of God that teaches us, that blood is applied to your life in baptism. When you go to the watery grave of baptism, you're buried as it were by faith. You're buried in the blood of Jesus Christ. You go down, you're a sinner going down, you come up, your sins have been washed away forever. One time is all it takes. One time, your sins are washed away. Repented sins are gone. Not for a year, but forever. They're washed away. And yes, obviously, some of you are thinking about, well, but there's times following that that I sin. When you do the same thing, the blood has already been applied to your life and obedience to the word of God in baptism. And when you sin, the Bible says, if we fail or if we sin what we have an advocate with the father who is it Jesus Christ the righteous how do we take advantage if I sin today I can repent today my sins are forgiven and the blood flows in my life that was shed and that now is made available to me not on one time basis not once a year basis but it's available to me 24 7 Wherever, whenever, you don't have to wait till you get to church. You don't have to wait till you can get an appointment with the priest to confess. You just simply have to, wherever you're at, driving down the road, on the job, at home, at school, at play, wherever you're at, you can, you can repent, you can talk to God, you can have access to the blood that flows into your life on a daily basis. It covers the, the Bible teaches us. Paul said, I crucify myself daily. Why? 
because I'm humanity, because I'm failure, I, I have sinned. And so I crucify my flesh daily, meaning I repent on a daily basis. Sometimes it's not what I did, it's what I didn't do. It's sins of omission and sins of commission. But I, it's necessary for me to come and find a better sacrifice and take advantage of his love and his blood that was shed. All things by the law are purged with blood. <coughs> Excuse me. In Hebrews 9 and 22 through 28, but in 22 the verse says, And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So it, the shadow was set before us that there needed to be shedding of blood to get your sins pushed aside. And your sins are not going to be remitted without the application of his blood in your life. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Now, it's important for us to understand that Jesus Christ died for who? For whose sins? The sins of the world. Is the whole world going to be saved? No. Why? Because the whole world hasn't come to him and asked for forgiveness and asked for his blood to be applied to their life and obeyed the scriptural texts of, of repenting of sins, be buried in the name of Jesus for the remission of those sins. And so... Though it has been, it's been applied, and it was for, as was said, it's applied for the entire world. But only those who come and take advantage of that. I often give you a little, little illustration about if I had a handful of $100 bills and said the first one's up here until I run out, I'm going to pass them out. But we could, do it, we could do it likewise. Pastor Grogan did it today. He said we have anybody that, that uh, feel like they can't afford to come to the banquet tonight, uh, let them come, talk to pastor, he'll make provisions. There's already people are saying that I'm not going to go just myself, but I'm willing to help somebody else that maybe uh, find it difficult to come up with $25 ahead to go. We want everybody to go. But if you say, well, I'm not going to go up there, I'd be embarrassed. That, that's what a lot of people do in their relationship with God. They'll die with the sins in their life because they don't come and take advantage of what has been offered to them. Because getting your sins remitted, you can't do it on your own. But it'll never happen without you giving your effort. You show me your faith, I'll show you my faith by my works. I've often said that if your house is on fire and I knocked on your door and said, your house is on fire, get your family and get out. You can say, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. Thank you. And back to sleep. And what will we say? Did you believe? No, you didn't believe. Because if you really believe, what are you going to do? You're going to get out. You're going to get your family. You're going to act on your faith. And so sometimes people say, well, all you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thine house. And I say, amen. But it doesn't say as long as you say you believe, you'll be saved. It says, if you believe, you'll be saved. Because if you believe, what are you going to do? You're going to get out of the burning building. You're going to leave your sin. 
You're going to accept him. You're going to, you're going to come and say, God, I repent of my sins and I ask you to forgive me of my sins and I'm going to go to the watery grave and I'm going to be baptized. I'm going to be filled with your spirit in the presence of God. Why? Because I believe. And so the tabernacle is set up, but it was very imperfect. There was a plan. It was a foreshadow. It was a type and typology. It was a type of the things that were coming. The Bible says to you and I that everything happened back there to them. Why is the Old Testament important to us? Because we find New Testament salvation in the New Testament. Why is the Old Testament important to us? Because everything that happened to them in a natural sense had a spiritual, prophetic, foretelling word about what God thinks and how he reacts today because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If there was something in the Old Testament that God despised, which there were things that he called an abomination in the eyes of God, those have not changed. The things that we learn about God, there's much we learn about God through the relationship of God and his, his what we could call a dysfunctional relationship with Israel. Because there were times he was fighting their battles for them and there was times that he joined the ranks of the enemy and let the enemy beat up on them because of their rebellion. We learn the nature of God. We learn the nature of God that sometimes he was their deliverer. Sometimes he was their corrector. He was their executioner. And he set up laws that they enacted there that if, if a child was disobedient to his parents, they were taken outside the city and stoned till they were dead. They didn't have any, very many disrespectful children running around with picket signs. I saw one that uh, a guy was holding this picket sign and it said, no mother should have to worry about her son getting shot every time he robs a store. That's how sad, that must have went over most of y'all's head. The society and the age we've come up with today and the disrespect of, of what is called sometimes the millennials today and the pure, uh, I want to say ignorance, but I'll say lack of intelligence. Of so many that they think socialism is the way to go. When if they'll find any socialist country that's ever existed, they'll find where socialism works really, really well for the very top few. Socialist leaders are billionaires and really great rich people while their common folks are eating out of trash cans and starving. And, and uh, uh, another uh, uh, disparaging remark somebody made that, you know, and under socialism, people end up eating their dogs. And I thought, well, you know, if, uh, if America turns to socialism, I might, I've got a head start on a whole lot of folks. And you that don't know, I raise dogs, so I've got a whole lot of food stored up there for when we turn to socialism. Uh, that's just in jest, obviously. But uh, what I'm saying to you today is when we understand our relationship with God, when we understand what God does for and wants to do for us today, His sacrifice is so much better than the sacrifice of the lamb, the pigeon, the bullock, the turtle dove. So much better because his sacrifice is not once a year, but it's once and for all. 
We are so blessed that we understand that without the shedding of blood, but Jesus Christ became our sacrifice. We don't have to shed our own blood. Someone, uh, it happened in, the, in Scripture. It, it's even happened since that someone calling on the name of their God, they're cutting themselves, they're bleeding themselves, trying to get the attention of their God. And they're somehow thinking that if they'll shed their blood and, and all that, that somehow it will bring some kind of satisfaction, some kind of relationship with God. But the children of Israel in the tabernacle plan they had no relationship with God. But you know what? That veil that separated the holies of holies, that only the priest could go in, only the high priest, and only once a year could he go in and sacrifice for the sins of the community. Now that veil has been rent and it's open. And now, you know what? Every one of you can go in to the holies of holies. Somebody tell me what the holies of holies is type of. We need to yell about this a little bit more. What is the holies holies a type of? We go into, into the tabernacle. First thing is what? The brazen altar. Type of repentance. We go past that to the brazen labor, which is a type of. It's where they wash the blood off their hands. Proclaim that's a type of baptism. The brazen labor. You go into the holy place, there's the table of showbread. The bread of life is what? The word of God. And then there's also the seven golden candlesticks, which is a type of the spirit of God or the illumination or the revealing, the understanding. Because the priest couldn't see this function in the dark because it was a darkened, uh, thick um, skins covered the entire tabernacle in interior. And it was dark in there, but the seven golden candlesticks was the illumination. The last thing before you go into the holies of holies was the altar of incense. Anybody know what that was a type of? They sent a sweet-smelling savor up to God. How do we do that? Go ahead. You're right. Worship. We, and how do we enter into the presence of God today? You enter in by worship. And then, then they would go in from that. The priest would go in. And you know what? This is a point that I haven't really dwelt on before, but uh, kind of acknowledged today. That it was interesting and revealing that the first thing the priest did before he went in, he offered up sacrifice for his own sin. We as humans, as a pastor, as a minister, whatever, we live by the same relationship that you do, that we have to repent. We have to constantly repent. We have to live a life of repentance where in our humanity we fail just like you fail. And there's a need for us to acknowledge our sin and often daily we repent before God before we can enter. And that had to be before they could enter in. So the priest, before he could go in and offer sacrifice for your sins, he had to offer sacrifice for his own sin. Because if he went in the holies of holies without being clean himself, what happened? He died. Remember, uh, you that know a little bit about the study about this era of time, the sons of Hophni and Phinehas, or the sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, they went and offered, the Bible said, strange fire on the altar. 
and they died at the altar. Remember, Uriah reached out and touched the Ark of the Covenant, which was what was in the Holies of Holies when they stopped. But it was to be carried on the priest's shoulders. And they decided one time to do it their own way, to carry it on a cart behind some oxen. And a man named Uriah, when the oxen stumbled and it looked like the ark might tip off, with every good intention in the world, he didn't want the ark to be dropped down. And he reached to steady the ark and God killed him because they weren't doing it the way God had told them to do it. All of these things have foreshadow a revelation of what God thinks about things. And we have the scripture that says, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, the hearts of men are set continually to do evil. Because in those days you touched the ark, you died. You entered the presence of God without first repenting, you died. You know where the, the fire on the, the altar of incense came from? Another beautiful story that is so revealing about how God's nature works. You go into the holy place, there's the altar of incense. And they had to put fire on the altar of incense and it had to burn. Where did that fire come from? Somebody said it. Go ahead. It came from the altar of sacrifice. So they had to take live coals from the, sac the sacrificial altar where the blood was shed. They took live coals from that and they brought it and they put those live coals and they put the incense on it that sent up the sweet smelling savor to God. And it's a type of us that if you want to enter into the presence of God, you can't come arrogantly with your sin uh, still in your life. And, and well, you know, I'm, I'm, the Pharisees had the attitude, well, you know, I'm just as good as they are and I'm not as bad as that terrible sinner. And then you come with that attitude in the presence of God. And in the olden times, you would have died. Because the only real praise and worship and sacrifice you can offer unto God has to come from the altar of in incense. What happens at the altar of incense? What is it a type of? The altar of sacrifice. What is it a type of? The first thing. What do you do when you come to God? Well, I need to teach on this a little more, I guess. The altar of sacrifice is repentance. Everybody say repentance. That's where death is at. It's where you die out to your old sins. It's where you die out to your old carnal nature. Death happens at the altar of sacrifice. It's a type of repentance. Signifying and foreshadowing and foretelling and understand the working and the plan of God, you take coals from that sacrificial altar and you bring that to ignite the altar of incense, which tells us that the way you approach God is humbly after repenting and cleansing your own heart and with your head bowed down and beating upon your chest, as it were, and the Bible talks about you repent before God, and once you've repented and God forgives you, then you can lift up your hands and praise and begin to worship God, and that's the only sacrifice that God's going to receive. I don't care how pretty you can pray. I don't care how much tongues you can talk in. I don't care how much of those other things you can do that makes you look so, you know, you can dress to the hilt and do everything you're supposed to do. But if your praise doesn't come from an altar of sacrifice, if it doesn't come from a place of repentance, your praise is not going to get anywhere with God. But the praise that God's going to receive is when you take those live coals from the altar of repentance. And you bring that repentant attitude into the presence of God. 
I for years have taught at Corcoran State Prison and I've taught those inmates. Some of them are rapists and, and murderers. Some of them are multiple murderers. And I've told those guys, and sometimes we've, I've taught them for a while, and we have new ones come in, and there's times that I did it just for a point to be made. I say, how many of you guys are perfect? And some of those murderers and rapists will raise their hands, and others will look at them like, yeah, I know about you. Well, you're doing your hand in the air. And what I had taught them, that if you're living a life of repentance, in God's eyes, you're living a life of perfection. Because none of us, you know, we, we think, oh, a murderer or a rapist, boy, that, that's, but you know, they're in the same class as liars and cheats and, you know, all these other things that some of you are starting to duck and dodge already. They're, they're all sins, but we all have the same access to God. And I don't care how hideous a person might have been in his past, if he comes to God and truly humbles himself and repents and is buried in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And those guys, I had the privilege of baptizing many of them in the name of Jesus Christ and teaching them about the things of God that could say, you can now, how many of you are perfect? Well, they understood I wasn't talking about they in the flesh, they in their, their past, they even in their current condition are a perfect specimen. I'm saying in my relationship with God, if I'm living repentance, if I've come and I've asked God and I've taken advantage of the blood that he shed a long time ago, the better sacrifice I've received. It wasn't bought with a dove or a pigeon or a bullock or a lamb, but it's brought with the lamb of God that died for the sins of the world. And I have made application to him through repentance and I've asked for his blood to cover my sins and he's accepted my, my request and he's washed away my sins and now I can enter into the presence of God and I can enter him in perfection because we can't come before God. Remember if you come before God with sin still in your life what happens? They were killed but because God doesn't kill us today for coming in unworthily into his presence we think aha see I got by. No there's, the Bible says he gave man space to repent. But then it goes on to say, but, but when they repented not, they're going to be condemned. He gives us time to repent. And sometimes because he's given us time to repent, we think, aha, nobody knows. God don't care. God's already forgiven me. But there's a, there's a time. The Bible says every idle word indeed, I'm going to have to give an account of when I stand before God. The Levitical high priest himself was a sinner. He was in need of forgiveness. Before he could offer up a sacrifice for you and I, for those around him that day, he had to first offer sacrifice for himself. There was nothing about the Day of Atonement, which was this annual sacrificial time, that suggested that the people of Israel, that they could enjoy an intimate fellowship with God. They didn't. They come there fearful and afraid, brought their sacrifice, and hoping that God would receive their pigeon, their lamb, their bullock, their dove, that he would receive it and push their sins aside for a period of time. They had no relationship with God. In fact, the rituals were very frightening and very exclusive. 
The high priest entered the most holy place with the risk of his own death. Jewish tradition indicates that the prayer of the high priest where he exited the most holy place was intentionally a very short time lest he put Israel in a time of terror. The sacrifice was quick and the prayer for forgiveness was quick because it was a very scary time for them. But we have a better sacrifice. We come to God. We don't have to come to God afraid. The name of this church is Abundant Life Center. We come and we find abundant life. I told you about some of the, the blessings. And I, I, can, I can literally tell you there are times in my relationship with God that I could tell you that I know what it means to, have, to feel like the windows of heaven are open and blessings are poured out where I'm not even able to consume. Today I will tell you I have things I don't need. I go places I don't have to go. I, I'm very content to stay home and my wife is constantly wanting to take me somewhere. Uh, one of our last trips, uh, she had planned to go back for Thanksgiving back to Mississippi and Tennessee. And, and I told her, I said, oh, I'm not sure I want to do that. She said, too bad, I already bought the tickets. <laughs> I go places I don't have to go. I go I, I've, I've enjoyed things in life that I, I don't deserve. And I don't, but but I, I know what it means to be blessed in the presence of God. And I was taught by godly loving parents that made so many sacrifices. Never had what I have. But they made so many sacrifices in their, their years of pastoring a small church through the years. And uh, so many sacrifices. They set the table of blessings of God that I have today. I don't just have blessings from myself, but I have generational blessings that have passed because of, of situations and things in life where I'm very, very blessed. You say, well, I don't have that. You can start it. You can start passing blessings on to your children and grandchildren and so on. You can love God in such a way and serve God in such a way as there are things that you can get. And I'm not just talking about earthly, monetary things. You can pass along faith and integrity and love and, and things to them that money can't buy. And all of us can, can do that. And if you don't have it generationally coming to you, you can start a generation that passes it on to your family. And to your children, your grandchildren, and those that follow. And so this was not a good time for them. Uh, it was a very short time. But the difference is today that now we can come. And as the rituals of the law were very external. They were about thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. You must do this. This is, this is the ordinance. This is how you do the ceremony. It's all about external things. Jesus Christ came along and he set the table for not just having an external living by the rituals and the laws and the thou shalt nots. It's like the Pharisees could say, well, I, I pay tithes of all that I possess and, and I don't do this and I don't do that and I've got all this. And they had, they had an understanding of all the external rituals that they needed to go through. They understood all of that and they said, oh, we're performing that well. 
but they forgot about what really was important, and that was the internal. The law gave us regulations and things that in the flesh we could not perform. And no matter how much we tried, we were going we're to mess up. And the Ten Commandments were given to us, and we're going to come up short of doing all those things that we're supposed to do. But then God comes along, makes himself a body, comes and dwells in humanity, becomes a sacrifice, a better sacrifice, a better sacrifice. He becomes a better sacrifice for us that now we don't have to go to the priest. Now we have a personal, loving relationship with God. We come into the presence of God, whether it's at home or at the house of God. We join in and we begin to worship. And sometimes tears are flowing. Sometimes exuberance makes us jump to our feet. Sometimes people are running, they're shouting, or they're singing their hearts out, or playing their instrument in the, in the spirit of God, in the presence of God. And we're elevated into the sacred presence of God. Time after time after time after time. Not because we're worthy in our flesh, but because his sacrifice made us clean and opened us up to where we can go past the altar of sacrifice, past the brazen labor, into the holy place and enjoy the word of God. And we're illuminated by the, by the candlesticks, by the spirit of God. We begin to worship and that's how we get into the presence of God. We begin to worship, and that's another typology. How do you want to get in the presence of God? How do you get there? The last thing before you enter into the holies, holies of holies. What was the last thing? Has anybody caught up with me today? The last thing before you go into the holies of holies was what? What? That's one of them, but that's not the last one. You go in, the seven golden candlesticks are here, the table of showbread is here, but the last thing before you go into the holies of holies is what? What do we get off the fire at the altar? And where do we take that fire? To the what? Somebody's saying it, speak up. It's hidden trick. The altar of incense. What is the altar of incense a type of? You're sending up a sweet smell and savor to God. It's a type of our worship. So if you want to get into the presence of God, you come here, and I'm, I'm thinking of something that's come to me twice, so I guess I should t share it with you, about entering into the, work, the presence of God. My dad, many, many years ago, back in the old days, they used to have debates with different religions and different philosophies. They would get together and they would have a crowd of people and they would have a moderator and they would each get like 30 minutes and they would present their side. The other would come present their side and they'd go back and forth. And my dad had debates and others in those days had debates over the oneness of the Godhead and on baptism and the infilling of the Holy Ghost and various things that some religions say you don't need this and some did, did and they put it together. So my dad was debating uh, a particular denominal religious uh, leader and he was debating him and, uh, and the subject was about speaking in tongues and whether that was necessary for us today. And, and uh, the, the other speaker got up and he began to make fun of and mock. And he, he turned to my dad who was sitting on, on the chair on the side and he's the speaker and he said, uh, you, so you believe in speaking tongues? And, and uh, I'm telling you this for a purpose. He said, so you believe in speaking in tongues then? And he looked at my dad and he said, 
speak in tongues for me, speak in tongues for me, speak in tongues for me, just in mockery. And then he went on about his business, and my dad got up later, and in his, his uh, opportunity to speak to them, he, he turned to this man, and he said, have you ever dreamed a dream? The man said, well, sure I have. He said, dream a dream for me, dream a dream for me, dream a dream for me. In other words, there is some prerequisites to speaking in tongues. There's prerequisites to dreaming a dream. To dream a dream, you have to be asleep. So there's a certain condition you must get into to be able to dream a dream. The Holy Ghost is not just something we go around just blabbering off in some other language and say that's the Holy Ghost. And there are some people that have learned to do it and they can speak in tongues and they really haven't gotten into the presence of God. And that will do you no more good than, than anything else will do. Because to really get to the place where you're speaking in tongues, uh, I, I, I don't speak in tongues at a drop of a hat. You know why? Because you need to get into the Spirit of God. How do you get there? The altar of incense. What is the altar? And how do you get there? You stop at the, at the brazen altar where there's death. Your repentance. And then you're cleaned and the blood applied in baptism is applied to your life. And then you understand your insignificance. You come in the presence of God in the holy place and the seven golden candlesticks makes you realize how inadequate you are. And I'm going to tell you, the closer you get to Jesus Christ, the less you feel like criticizing somebody else. Because when you get into the light of his presence, you see yourself. And you realize, I've got enough problems myself taking care of me. Not to be worried about condemning and criticizing somebody else. And so you come in the presence of God. And then the last thing before you enter into the holies of holies is you come to the altar of incense, which is a type of praise. So the way I get into the condition where I speak in tongues is I enter into the presence of God. You that have been there know what I mean. You may come to the house of God feeling like you want to fight. Maybe you fought with your wife all the way to church or your husband. Maybe you've got bills to pay and you don't know how you're going to pay them and you're just under duress. Maybe you've got a headache or a backache or a bellyache. Maybe, maybe you, you've got situations. Maybe your kids have disappointed you. Maybe you feel like you're forsaken and alone. You don't feel that good. And you come here and somebody begins to worship. Somebody begins to praise. The, the heavens begin to open up and God begins to pour out his blessings. And a little bit, a little splashes on you. And then a little more. And then a little more. And then a little more. And after a while, you begin to feel the presence of God like I'm feeling right now. And chill bumps running up and down your back. And, and on my cheeks, I can feel it right now. You begin to feel the presence of God. And you begin to worship. And you forget about your your headache, you forget about your bills that aren't paid, you forget about the fuss you have with your wife or your husband, and you enter into the presence of God, and it's there that you can speak in tongues, and there you can enjoy the presence of God, because now you are in the holies of holies, a place where only the high priest could go in those days, but now you have access right into, and how do you get there? How do you come? We have an abundant Entry. We can come boldly, the Bible says, to the throne of what? Grace. How do we come? Boldly. 
You know what that means? That means you're not coming bragging about the sins of the past and the things that were wrong and the, the faults that you have and the times you stumble and fail, but you come boldly into the throne of grace. You come boldly into the presence of God, not based on your own worth, but on His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness. And now, like I said, even those prisoners with that'll never see the light of freedom the rest of their life can come boldly into the throne of grace, can raise their hand and say, because I'm living and walking in repentance, I'm perfect in the presence of God. And I can come and rejoice and I can worship God and I can go past the curtain, past the altar of incense, and I can enter into the holies of holies and begin to worship and praise God. I watched a multiple murderer. One time as he knelt, and he was Hispanic background. And I watched him kneel beside a black man. And a lot of times in prison, they're very separated. But I watched him kneel by a black man that was worried about a daughter that was home that he couldn't go be with. And I watched him kneel beside him with tears in his eyes. And it broke me up watching. Here's a guy that uh, has, probably, has killed seven or eight different people. And I know that from having a little inside and having a conversation with him. He was from Delano, California. He was part of a mafia and he was kind of an uh, enforcer and there was a lot of stories that I've heard from him and he'll probably never see the light of day. He's killed two more since he's been in prison. But I watched him kneel beside, you know, he's made a change in his life. He, he did in prison what they call, he, uh, I blanked out for a second, debriefed. And he debriefed, that means I want to leave the gang and I want to leave my past and I want a change of lifestyle. And he made those changes and I watched that man kneel beside this black man. And I only mention the color because if you understand how prejudice works and how, especially in that, they, they're very segregated. But they're not segregated when they get the Holy Ghost and they get full of the presence of God because in that sense, God doesn't care what the color is. And I watched him kneel beside this other, other inmate, put his arm around him, and I watched him and it made tears stream down my cheeks as I thought, this is what God does. This is what happens when you get into the presence of God. When you get into the presence of God, then you find that kind of spirit that makes you forgive and makes you appreciate that if it wasn't for the grace of God, I couldn't be here. But I'm here because there's a better sacrifice. I'm here because I'm not waiting on the priest to go ask God to forgive my sins for a little while, but now I have access, a better sacrifice into the presence of God, and I can go myself, and I can go boldly. I can go boldly. I can go with abundant life into the presence of God. All kinds of regulations that kept people from having that personal relationship with God. Now it's in the past because now through the blood of Jesus Christ, you and I can have a relationship with God today. Jesus came. He came with the very intentions of being a sacrifice for our sins. He desired to have the communion that he had while he created mankind. And Adam and Eve were in perfection. But because of sin in their life, there was a division between he and his creation. And all the way from that time to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, he longed for that same relationship where 
Two innocent people could come and he could fellowship them because of his holiness. His holiness cannot be in the same place with sin. Because of sin, there was a division. Because there was no really, really blood sacrifice that wiped it out. It only pushed it aside. The only way to get back to that relationship that God wanted with you and with me was he had to die. His blood was shed. His perfect blood was shed for the sins of the world. And now you and I can come boldly to the throne of grace. We can go past the altar of sacrifice, the brazen labor, the altar of incense, into the holies of holies. And you have access to God. It's there we come. And when we get to the place that we're speaking with other tongues in the presence of God, that's our sign language between us and God. We, we have moved now not, in, not into a carnal place, but we've moved into the holies of holies, into the presence of God. And it's there that we begin to worship Him in His language. We're blessed there. We understand He's forgiven. He has blessed us. And we have a better sacrifice that takes us there. And I'm starting to wind down. Hebrews 10 and 1 shows us the purpose and the limitations of the law of Moses. The law was never intended to be an end in itself. It was mere a shadow of things that were to come. It was incapable of perfecting those who approached God on the basis of those sacrifices. The good things to come refer to the provisions of the new covenant found in Jesus Christ. You and I are benefits. We're not just now a shadow of the past, but the past was a shadow of the blessed place where we live today. Listen to me as I close. The inability of the sacrifices of the law to deal with sin problem is seen in that they had to be offered again and again and again. Never were they ever fully released from the sins of their past. but They had to come back again and again. A new blood sacrifice, a new pigeon, a new dove, a new lamb, a new bullock had to be brought again and again. Every year at the designated time, at the altar of atonement, it had to be brought again and again. But when Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world, that application is applied to your life one time. And one time covers the past and it gives you access. It's already applied in the future that if we fail, we have an advocate. That means a lawyer at the bar, someone defending us, someone on our side with Jesus Christ, the righteous. And the fact that he provided provisions for us. If those sacrifices had been sufficient to remove sin, it wouldn't have been necessary to repeat the sacrifices. They did not purify the worshiper. Those only offered the sacrifice were left with the lingering consequences of sin. The implications is seen as a marvelous consequence of the sacrifice of Christ. Since his sacrifice, in contrast to the sacrifice of the law, it purified those purifies those who approach God through Christ Jesus and leaves them with no more consciousness of sin because his blood does not remit sin because his blood does remit sin 
we can draw near with a true heart full of an assurance of faith that I have repented and now I'm no lesser than anybody else. I don't care where you've been, where you came from. You can come in the presence of God. You can come and lift up holy hands, holy hands. But these hands have shed blood. These hands have done, yes, but you can come after repentance and you can lift holy hands in the presence of God. Let's stand to our feet. His blood remits sins completely. Once you've repented of a sin, you don't have to come back. Don't let the devil berate you or beat you with sins of the past that you repented of. Somebody said it this way. When the devil re reminds you of your past sins, remind him of his future destination. The Bible says he's going to be cast into hell forever and forever in torment. Praise God. Let's thank God right now for our forgiveness, for a sacrifice that's so much better. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the remission of sins. Thank you for helping us, Lord. Thank you for forgiving us, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. You deserve our worship. You deserve our worship. We lift our hands before you. We honor and adore you. You deserve our worship. Oh, you deserve our worship. You deserve our worship. Oh, sing it again. He deserves our worship today. Thank God we have access to come and worship Him. Oh, you deserve our worship. You deserve our worship. Oh, Lord. We lift our hands before you. We honor and adore you. You deserve our worship. Oh, you deserve our worship. You deserve our worship. Oh, Lord. There's a sweetness of the presence of the Lord here right now. Just give him a little worship. It's early. We can just worship him for a few moments. Do you realize how precious it is to come in the presence of God? You couldn't go there if you lived under the tabernacle plan. You had to come trembling to the priest. He had to take care of you. But you can come into the presence of God. I just kind of feel something the Holy Ghost saying right now, that this is the holies of holies. I think you all just come and walk into the presence of God. Just in typology today, just come forward and, and let's come up here for just a moment. Look at the privilege you have of coming into his presence. The privilege you have of walking and saying, Here am I, Lord. I'm coming into your presence. I'm coming to worship you. I'm coming. Just come forward and enter into his presence. What a privilege it is this morning that we can enter into his presence. We can enter into worship. You deserve our worship. Oh, Lord. Here we lift our hands. 
As we lift our hands before you, we honor and adore you. You deserve our worship. Oh, you deserve our worship. Worship, oh Lord, one more time, hallelujah. You deserve our worship, you deserve our worship, oh Lord, one more time, lift our hands as we lift our hands before you. We honor and adore you. You deserve our worship. You deserve our worship. 